Hi, it's me again, Jin. Lovely to have you back. So tell me what's been good about your week. That's how every session starts with that question. I always jump on a call and I'll say, oh, hi, say something positive about the weather, it's sunny, or that's a lovely top you're wearing, or something positive. You know, that even that initial conversation is very positive. You know, say something nice. You're looking well today. Lovely to see you again. You know, it's a great way to start. And then the next thing I ask is, what's been good about your week? So that's my introduction now to episodes. Uh, I said I was going to think of doing something new. So what's been good? So I want you to come on each session now. Um, you know, that's the first question I'm going to ask you. Like I always say to my clients every session, you know, next week I'm going to ask you what's been good. So all the way through the week, I want you to start clocking and registering all those things that have been good so that you are ready for session. It's a great way to start. You're straight into the intelligent brain this way. Now, this doesn't mean that you've not had any stresses or strains this week. Don't get me wrong. I'm not denying that. It's just that we must start in the intelligent brain. I want you to filter I want you to just think about what's been good this week. So I'm not asking how are you, how's things, because that's giving you a choice to to tell me everything. Uh, and more often than not, you are going to go to the negative. So what's been good about your week? What's been good? What's made you laugh? What's made you smile? Just in, inconsequential things, those little things. And I'll tell you what's been good about my week. I have had a lovely lunch with one of my pals today. It was great. We had... Indonesian tomato soup. Oh my God, it's the best thing ever. I've never had it before, but it was so good. So we loved it. Uh, While we were there, um, a guy outside, so we were sitting in the window and a guy outside nearly fell over. (laughs) I know you shouldn't laugh, but he was laughing as well at us because we saw him. So we all had a good laugh. I mean, this is Scotland and, and this is, you know, where I live down in Leith. Uh, as well. It's just amazing. <laughs> so everyone's so friendly and funny. It's like, okay, yeah, that happened. So that was really funny. So I was with my really good friend and we have such a good laugh all the time. So that that's a good thing about my week. Now that that's, you might think that's quite a big thing because, you know, going out for lunch, it's all nice, but I can tell you little things as well. I had a really lovely meal at home the other night and I had, I think, two or three nights this week, I've sat down with my husband and we've had a conversation. That's been really good. I got a really nice message from my friend. She rang me just while I was out and about and we had a really good chat while I was walking. So that was lovely to chat with her on the phone. And uh, I had a really nice cup of tea the other day. I don't know. It was just really nice. I had a cup of tea and I sat down with my book for an hour and it was heaven. That's it. That's my good things. Can you see how it's just a little thing sometimes that help you? So what's been good is going to be the first question. Right, before I start waffling as well, let's get into today's episode. Now, today's episode is a response to a message I got from someone via email. Such a lovely email I got. Uh, It was about just thanking me for my um, podcast. I'll read a bit out for you. uh, And I'm not going to say who it is just for confidentiality uh, as well, if you don't mind. Um, But someone has sent me a message saying, I've been listening to your podcast and learning so much about how and why the brain does what it does. This is helping me to reduce my stress bucket and means my anxious lump in the throat comes and goes less often and doesn't stay as long. So I'd like to thank you very much. Oh my God, that was just, that line just made me so happy. If my podcast is doing that for someone, like, oh, you can't put a price on that. 
I, I'm just so happy for that. At the end, uh, they also say that their favorite podcast is the CEO, Secretary and Health and Safety Officer one. I've been listening back to that a few times now. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? It's so interesting that that's how the brain works. In between there, they've, they've asked a few questions. So I'm going to use that as the basis of this podcast today and, and answer quite a few things. The first thing uh, I, they asked is about um, teenagers' brains, how teenagers' brains work, and is my podcast suitable for them or, or solution-focused therapy suitable for them? So let's talk about the teenage brain, first of all. Yes, the teenage brain, fascinating. Now, science tells us that the brain develops and continues to develop from birth to about the age of 25. And through the teenage and adolescent years, it goes through a real growth spurt. Now, this is different to neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity can carry on your whole life. You can change the pathways in your brain your whole life. But up to about the age 25 and in that adolescent year, there is a physical growth spur in the brain. Uh, lots of physical changes going on, very different changes uh, as well. And so this spurt of development occurs. And some studies have shown that at that time, the amygdala, which is the fight or flight response, or I call it the primitive brain, is still developing. And it's still developing, but it's then disproportionate to developments of other part of the brain. So what happens with teenagers as well, and you'll remember this when you were a teenager, I certainly do, with teenagers sort of take more risks. They're a bit more rebellious. They take more risks. They're, you know, they just don't see danger so much because that fight or flight response is kind of still catching up with the intelligent brain. So, you know, that kind of safety valve, that safety mechanism is not tallying up. So the safety valve's got to catch up still. So this is where you see teenagers, you know, like running around on skateboards and just not bothered about anything, taking risks, trying to be rebellious, getting into trouble. Yeah. So they take risks more. It's really interesting. And it's all to do with brain development. And the other thing, you'll know this about teenagers, they need to sleep more. They definitely need to sleep more because, again, the brain is going through a huge growth spurt. And this is why you can never get children, uh, teenagers, sorry, out of bed for school. And they just seem to want to sleep all the time. So th there's scientific reasons for those. Now, um, I read a really interesting study once, I think it was done in Scandinavia, where they allowed teenagers to start school later. They allowed teenagers to start school at about 11 or 12 o'clock and then they finished at five. And the statistics regarding how well they did in exams were vastly improved. They did so well because they were allowed to sleep. So actually getting teenagers up in the morning is a struggle, but there's a reason for that uh, as well. As well as they might have been up too late playing computer games, which they, sh they shouldn't be doing. Look at me. How old am I? Computer games. I think they're called video games now. I don't know what they're called, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. And they're on social media too much late. Now, that's a different reason, but they do need more sleep. So that, that's also causing a problem. They definitely need more sleep. So if you can allow your teenager to start school at 12 or 1 o'clock and stay on till 5, that would be ideal. Unfortunately, that's not happening in the UK anyway right now. 
But I really think there's something behind that. There's something behind we should be allowing teenagers to sleep more and getting them to sleep more. So yeah, that's the science behind teenagers. Now, talking and sharing about my podcast, talking to them about solution-focused work is absolutely fine. Um, it's really suitable for teenagers. Now, I don't often work with children. I will work with mature teenagers. Um, and the results I get are phenomenal. They they just really latch onto this process. They love the solution-focused way, that it's positive, it's forward-looking, they want change. I challenge them quite a bit if they want challenging uh, as well. But solution-focused work is brilliant for teenagers. I will say mature teenagers, you know, people that will cotton on to that process because solution-focused work is not a nodding along kind of therapy. I'm not a nodding along kind of therapist. I won't let you talk about what you want to talk about. I'm going to ask you a question and I expect an answer. So I'm going to ask you what's been good about your week. What will you do tomorrow if you feel a bit better? Now let's do some relaxation. So it's a very structured kind of session. So as long as teenagers are on board with that, um, I will see teenagers. Uh, as well. And it just works fantastically well. I've worked with a few teenagers, first few sessions, parent has been in the room as well. I've had one parent in the room who also fell asleep during relaxation. It was fantastic. So everyone was having a little snooze. Um, and yeah, so teenage solution focus work is really suitable for teenagers. The podcast I'm hoping would be interesting for them. Um, I think that's just personality, really, whether you like the podcast or not. So I don't think it's the brain rebelling so much. It's more about the teenager rebelling. Just no, I just don't want to absorb any information about that. So like I said, solution focus work is ideal. Listening to the podcast, absolutely. Um, I even know some younger children who are listening to my podcast, actually, some eight and nine-year-olds, and they love it. So hi, kids out there, everyone. And I'm, I'm just not experienced in working with young children so much, um, but I will work with teenagers. A lot of my colleagues, though, who are also solution focused, will work with quite young children, too. So solution focused work is ideal. Another question um, this person asked was about how to support people with depression, a great subject. So if you have a friend or a partner or a relative suffering from depression, you know you want to do everything to help them. It's confusing. Um, you know, you're not sure what to say. There's lots of hashtags out there, aren't there, about be kind and do this and do that. But, you know, come on, let's look at some more concrete things that you can do to help people with depression. So I'm going to give you some tips. I've got a blog about this on my website as well. It's dated actually Oh, look at the date on that. 21st of October 2019. That seems like a century ago now. Um, but it is there. So if you want to read through it as well, the notes are there for you. But what have I got here? Six tips. Six tips on helping support someone who's got depression um, that you know, someone close to you. So tip number one, learn about depression on your own. Read up about the symptoms, the causes, the treatments. You don't need to know everything about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. You don't need to be an expert. But if you get informed, then that'll take any stress away from the person you're trying to support. They don't have to explain their feelings. You, you can say, right, I think I understand this. So I, I can see where they're coming from. This is what depression is. Do your best. You don't need to know all the ins and outs of it. You just need to know a little bit so that you can just get a bit informed about it. So that's my first tip. Secondly listen. 
That's all you have to do. Just listen. You, you're you not a therapist. You don't have to provide any treatment. You just have to be someone there to listen to them. People want to talk. So we need to just look out for each other. This is, you know, us building our tribe. So if you've never experienced anything like yourself, just listen and take on board without judgment best you can what this person is saying about how they're feeling. Take that as that is how they're feeling, accepting that you don't have to provide a solution there and then. That's something for a therapist or that's something to sort of work through together. And even if you did provide a solution, that person might not be ready. It's very difficult to tell someone what to do. Number three, keep checking in with them. You know, so, you know, if if you're living with someone, don't keep asking them what's, you know, how are you? What's going on? That kind of thing. But depression can feel isolating. It's about letting them know that they're there, letting them know that you're there. Depression is like going back into the cave. Remember, I describe it as you know, that primitive response is if we saw everything was snowed under when we were cave people doing our hunting and gathering, we would say, look, I can't go out hunting and gathering today. So I'm going to go back into my cave and pull the rug over my head and wait until this situation passes. And that's a great response, except we don't live like that anymore. So we've now taken that response and we now call it depression. We literally want to retreat back into the cave, our bedroom or bed and pull the duvet overhead. So keep checking in with someone, just letting them know you're there. What you're saying by that is, look, I'm here. There's no polar bears out here. I'm here. So, you know, sending someone a text saying, thinking of you, sending a card, a quick phone call here and there, just saying, I'm here. I'm here. That's all you're saying. You're not saying that you know, let's talk about your depression. Let's do this. But, you know, it's going to be, you're going to have to put maybe a little bit more effort into that relationship while they get back to their real self. Just remember how much you love and care for them. You're going to have to put in maybe a little bit more effort. So I often talk about boundaries and meeting people halfway. In this case, you might have to go more than halfway to help them. Okay. Uh, Number four, Offer to help them in small ways. Okay, so if you can do something practical for them, like a quick shop, popping around to do the dishes, you know, helping them in some way, it will show, first of all, it will show them that someone's looking out for them, but it might help them feel better in their own environment and encourage them to start doing these things themselves. And when you are helping someone, it's really good to try and be a bit specific So let me give you an example. So don't just say, look, you know, what can I do for you? Try and do like, so if you can see the washing up needs doing, say, look, why don't I wash up while you make us a cup of tea? Can you see the difference? You're saying, I'll do this while you do that. And you're not telling them what to do. You're both doing something together to say, well, you know, while, while I wash up here, you make us a cup of tea and then we'll sit down. And what you've done there is you've helped them with their environment. You've done something for them. You've encouraged them to get out of their head and start doing something for you and for someone else. And then you can sit together and have a cup of tea. It's those little examples, you know. So while I pop to the shops, why don't you start sorting out the dinner? And when I come back, I'll help you finish off the dinner. You know, it's just those small things. You're helping them to take some action. Number five help them find the support. So remember, going back to what I said at the beginning, you're a friend 
or, or a relative. You're not a qualified professional. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can help them research therapists and other support networks. You can go along with them to appointments. I always will welcome a chaperone, often have no problem at all with anyone wanting to come along with a session. If it makes you feel better about your session, bring someone along. It's not a problem at all. It can sometimes be even more relaxed. It's, it's a chat between the three of us then. You know, definitely not a problem. And I don't know any therapist that would object to that either. Uh, any therapist of any modality as well. So help them find the support. You know, this is where, you know, you could say, oh, I listened to this podcast the other day, hopefully mine, uh, with some tips. You know, I know a lot of people have bought my book as a gift to people, whether they are going to read that book or not. You know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, can you? Um, but, you know, that's where you're helping and saying, look, I've thought of this. I've thought of that. I've seen this. Again, not being too pushy with it, but helping them saying, would you like to? What is it? that you're worried about. I think if you can give some encouragement, you know, that helps. A, a lot of clients I see are recommendations from people I've already seen. So if I've seen someone, they've had a really good experience in therapy with me and they'll say, oh, you know, I, I need you to see my sister, Jen. And I'll say, okay, you talk to your sister about the sessions that we've done. I always say nothing's a secret in our sessions. Explain our sessions and say how you felt better. And if they want to come and see me, we'll have a chat. But, you know, that, that also gives that person who needs to help some kind of confidence as well because they'll say oh well you went to see her and you feel good so I feel better already and honestly for me that's half the work done because they're so confident because they've seen the difference in their friend or family member that they'll say oh you you help my friend so much I want the same help and so the motivation is already there and lastly number six look after yourself. I'm really passionate about this. It's really important in all of this to make sure you set your own boundaries and understand your limitations. The last thing anyone needs is for you to become ill as well. It's not selfish to look after yourself because when you look after yourself, then you've got so much more to give others. So please look after yourself in this. And this is where, again, I'm here to help. So I have a lot of people ring me up saying, can you just give me some tips and hints about looking after my friends? Something's going on. I try to share that in my social media often as well. Obviously, blogs, this podcast, you know, that please look after yourself in all of this because you can end up taking it all on. But it's not selfish to look after you, yourself. Understanding depression isn't easy. It's actually very, very complex. And if you've never experienced anything like it yourself, it is very difficult to understand. But we don't need to know all the facts before we look at someone. We know that, you know, that that is someone we love, we care about and we can help them. But we don't have to have all the answers. Interestingly, you know, so solution focus work, obviously, is super effective in depression. However, it can take sometimes a little bit longer for me when someone's got more depression symptoms. I know they might take a little bit longer. And by longer, what I mean is, so comparing it relatively to anxiety, I mean, anxiety, within four to six sessions, people have often made a, a full recovery. I will carry on with my 10-week program, but often within one or two sessions, people with anxiety will notice a difference. In depression, it can take about six to eight sessions before we get a full recovery. But in the first few sessions, there are changes that are very small. They're almost imperceptible. I tend to notice them 
before my client does. So if you've got depression, you won't notice it so much. Whereas people with anxiety notice an improvement in symptoms straight away. People with depressions just take a couple of extra sessions longer. So six to eight sessions maybe um, that, that, that it'll take. And often I've given people with depression an extra session as well. They just need it. So that's quite interesting uh, about depression as well. So something to remember. I hope that podcast episode has helped you. Thank you so much for the person who messaged me. You know who you are. Um, because that was just a really meaty podcast episode that you gave me there. I was going to split it into two or three episodes, but I just wanted to look at it all in one. It's a nice variety of things uh, as well. So thank you, the person who sent me that email, because one, it just the first sentence just made me smile when you said you've been learning so much and you found my podcast really helpful. And then also it gave me some material that I know will be very valuable to you putting out as a podcast episode as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you everyone who's um, bought my book. Thank you everyone who's interacting with me on social media as well. I love it. I love social media, honestly. So I use it for my benefit and I filter it as well. So thank you everyone who's interacting with me on there. I really enjoy it. I try to put out as much content as I can. I'm not someone who's into huge self-promotion. I want to talk about anxiety. I want to talk about solutions. I'm solution focused after all. I want to help people. That, that's my aim. If I can help one person, which I obviously have, considering this email I've sent out today, then, you know, my work is done. If you can make a difference to one person's life, uh, you know your time on this earth has been valuable. So thank you so much for supporting me, everyone who supports me, everyone who follows the solution focus method uh, and is getting on board with it because the narrative around therapy has to change. It can be enjoyable. It can be fun. So until next time, keep that stress bucket empty, get plenty of good sleep, and we'll talk about some more stress bucket solutions next time. So take care till then. Bye for now.